Uh, welcome to your show, Dan. Welcome to your show. Thank you. I have two little bits I prepared here at the beginning. At the top, two things to talk about. Uh, one's very fluffy and innocuous, and the other one's a little heavy. Um, first, I'm playing Animal Crossing New Horizons, hmm. which is a Nintendo game that I never thought I would uh, own or be interested in, which I now seem to live in entirely. Um, I've never played like a sim game or anything like that, but enough enough people of you know adult age and orientation have been playing this game and talking about it online so i checked it out and it's wonderful yeah it's all the rage in my feeds i don't know a thing about it but i see a lot of screenshots screen grabs i'm very straightforward with video games like collecting and shooting and you know jumping and whatever so i i didn't have a category for something like this where you're on an island with like anthropomorphic animals and you have to make friends and make donations to a museum and catch bugs and pay off a loan to this weird raccoon entrepreneur. Um, but I, it's just very engaging and um, I'm hooked. Wow. So is there an ending or can you live there forever? I think you live there forever and you build your island. It starts off as a deserted island and you're in a tent. I already have built a house and expanded the house. Um, and then you... you there's, you know, we're opening a store this week. It changes with the seasons. It is in real time with your your clock and your, you know, your, your you tell them what hemisphere you're in and that kind of stuff. So uh, it it's supposed to keep going. Eventually, so you get to a point where you can invite other people to come to your island. Their character can come into your island and visit your house and all that. Oh, well, I'm not sure if I'll be available. I assume that's why you bring it up. <laughs> But so you're saying like if it's night where you are, then it's night in the game too. And so yes, like and there's different things to do at night. Different kinds of creatures come out. Different opportunities. Different fish you can catch. Uh, do you say your religion so it knows like when the holidays are? No, I think it just kind of you. There's all kinds of you can create your own decorations though. Like you can buy all kinds of weird and buy and trade and gift all kinds of ways to deck out your home but there's also a designer where you can go in and draw wallpaper or create shirt designs or make things so i suppose you could just kind of you know customize it that way well i'd say maybe i'd check it out i probably won't yeah but i'll rely on you i'm glad you're having fun and i'll rely on you to keep me updated with how your your animal crossing island is going i sure will do you like it better uh, than your regular life yet? Yes, at this point. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I do. <laughs> that's that's part of the draw. Uh, although things are going, things are looking up here. The weather's great. Uh, Rockland County opens tomorrow, phase one. Ooh, that I seems think is, a little early. We think it's way too soon. It's going to be a disaster. Wasn't Shouldn't Rockland like kind though. of a huge epicenter? Well, yes, but in very contained aspects of the community so maybe that's what they're thinking i don't know huh uh, overall with glaring exceptions the rockland has been pretty good about following the ordinances and you know everybody's got their lawn sign you know th- thank you heroes is the new support the troops mm-hmm. um the, the the easy gesture but uh i don't know yeah we'll see what happens but shireen is is delighted at the prospect of you know potentially uh, well, the parks and everything are already opening up. 
potentially tanning and yoga and hair salons mm. and things like that. But we'll see. Feels a little premature. It sure does. <laughs> and maybe I just sort of like the way the world has changed. And yeah. even if it's unsustainable, <laughs> maybe right. I just kind of wish life were like this all the time. Yeah. I'm worried about that movie theater. Yeah. I, I don't know. know if Amazon buying it is worth having it still be around. Yeah. You, you I, heard about that? Amazon's what? eyeing AMC. Yeah, I did hear about that. Yeah, I don't know. I think that whatever makes money they'll put in there. I yeah. think that would expand what the whole Amazon film world is. I don't think that they yeah. would limit it to their own stuff if they have I want, to be made yes. by releasing True. things. It would change the landscape of what's available for us to see, may, maybe in a good way, maybe in a bad way. But that could be said now. I don't know how AMC is choosing. You know, There's always right. movies that I can't see around me, and I right. don't know why. Yeah, it's always curated somehow. Yeah. I just would love for there to... I mean, that subscription service seemed too good to be true, and I'd hate for that to be gone. Yeah, well, that brought a lot of people into the movies. Yeah. And it was perfect for what we do and what we like. Right. Uh, speaking of what we do and what we like, that's I, maybe this is not a good on-air conversation. But right. essentially, my other bit of, of uh, topical discussion relates to the fact that no one is listening to our podcast right. <laughs> um, according to apple's uh, podcast analytics and the itunes popularity gauge for our episodes we had a drop off a few weeks ago where we had like you know three to five listeners which was enough to rate which of our episodes were popular and to mm -hmm. put us on the map of, of listenership and now it's gone <laughs> um, <laughs> no one is listening to this dan uh and there's an extent to which I don't care and it's fun and I want to keep I'm going right. to keep watching movies and I'm going to keep wanting to talk to you about them. But I think we have we'll have to talk about the show and how that works and what that means if it's been abandoned by <laughs> by by the culture completely. Um, I don't maybe we go every other week. Maybe we just make it a little more laid back. I don't know what it is. It's fine. It's just the burden of editing every week is much easier to justify if I know that it, even a handful of people right are listening <laughs> because otherwise we could just like record it then delete yes or have a <laughs> just have a conversation through some <laughs> yeah facetime or just do this I wish there was a way that we could communicate yeah you know where like we talk and we can hear each other right even though we're not in the same state i mean there's there, there's telephones I guess. I think, I think we each own one. Yeah. But. Um, well, I'm open to whatever uh, you think is best on that. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm going to keep this in the show. That gives people a chance to <laughs> to to pour to outpour and say, "No, I'm listening. I'm here." Also, it gives uh, us the chance right. <laughs> to <Yeah>. discover, <laughs> right, that no one cared. Yeah. But we certainly have, uh, we're here now, we have a show right now, and we have a lot to talk about. We do. Our streaming titles are both bonkers, I think, in their own way. Um, I feel, for whatever reason, this is one of those weeks where I feel like it's been a month since I watched all the movies. But huh. uh, I only saw the two, that uh, everything was kind of your recommendation this week. So I'm just going to yeah, sit back. And it was a me week. Yeah. And, I and, saw, uh, and I saw a bunch of other things. Too. Oh, okay. <laughs> I won't go into them. Because they're stupid. 
Yeah. But I saw Terror Train, which is a nice 1980s oh slasher film. And uh, I watched Friday the 13th yesterday for the first time. The original or the remake? Yeah, I think the original, right? From the uh, yeah. 80 or 1980? Yeah. Oh, wow. Possible. Yeah. Sure, yes. 79 so was, maybe even. Yeah, that was that was something. Yeah, I went down that rabbit hole last year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, believe it or not, that's considered the best one. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, um, I mean, they get a little clever, but then they also just get, you know, horror sequels get exponentially more bonkers. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably watch some of the sequels. Cause... I'd go for it. It's a very interesting ride. <laughs> yeah, I like just having something on in the background that you don't have to pay any attention to. And yeah. You just kind of look up for the good bits. Right. And things like that that are franchises that are low budget and pass through creative, like they're con, they get the chance to recreate everything every time. So it's if you and I know you like bonkers <laughs> surprises. So like you know, given what that movie was, you were probably surprised to watch that movie and not see a hockey mask, right? Well, no, I wasn't surprised because that's how little I knew oh, okay. about the franchise. <laughs> All right, okay. I was I was even asked as I yeah. was watching it, who's the villain in that one? And I couldn't answer. Right. I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, the first one? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, didn't really so even my... see a right. villain for most of the time. Well, there's there's uh Mrs. Voorhees, I suppose, is the villain. Right. Right. And but you then... don't even you don't even see her till you do. Right. And then Frog Boy, as he's called yeah, by fans, what was that? Uh, Jason is just an unfortunate mutant, but yeah. he becomes the villain. You know, as it, it's interesting to see it transform into a franchise and all the things that become shorthand that were not that way from the beginning at all. I'll be interested to see how he becomes a mutant. Yeah, because isn't he just a normal kid who drowned? Well, yeah. In the I mean, lore just... of. Don't don't get too excited about rules or consistency because every yeah, well, director spoil it for is going to do something completely different with the origin. Yeah, just just go for the go for the journey. Gosh, I invested. I have the Blu-ray box set of all of them right here. I wish I could just hand it to you and let mm. you have it for a few months. I don't have uh, a I Blu-ray guess I could player. Mail it to you if you'd like to to do. Can have to way. mail me a Blu-ray player. Too. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> all right then. I'm sure they're um, easy to find. On yeah, probably. Um. And I also watched The Grudge from this past the, the year. Recent one? Yeah, yeah, because I had meant to see it in the theater, and then I just didn't. Mm. And do, have you seen it? No, I've seen the original and don't remember a single thing about it. Okay, well, it made me interested to see the original slightly because I think there's a bit of the world of that um, franchise that you need to be familiar with in order for some of the stuff not to just be a real head-scratcher. Yeah, they, it it has a nonlinear sequence, which I found maddening, because mm-hmm. and it's not like it was so hard to follow, but when I thought it through, I realized that without that flashback, there'd be no through line. There would be no reason for the modern day story, because mm. all of the things that the modern day people are confused about would have been answered if we would have seen the movie in a linear fashion. Right. And there would be no intrigue or no reason to move forward. Everything's horribly episodic. You wouldn't have one character from beginning to the end unless you're doing these flashbacks. And so I think it just isn't a very good script, ultimately, mm-hmm. because the Wikipedia entry writes, the without naming it, writes the entire plot in a linear way. And that mm-hmm. was a lot easier to understand. But also it left nothing for the modern day characters to do. 
So whatever, if you like movies like this, right. it's, it's worth a watch. It's right. and Jackie Weaver, what a treasure in oh. anything she does. Yeah, she is so funny. Cool. That's what I have to say Great. about that. All, All right. right. So then the others were also my choices. <laughs> wow. Yes, that's right. Let's talk about um, Foxfire. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so I looked, you know, Foxfire is this phenomenon when a fungus becomes luminescent Ooh. Um, uh, when it is present on decaying wood. And I assume that's what this means. Yeah. You know? <laughs> It's a 1996 film directed by Annette Haywood Carter based on a novel. Can you imagine reading it? Foxfire. By Joyce Carol Oates, right? (laughs) Yeah. Foxfire. Yes. Confessions of a Girl Gang, which I think is a term the kids are using. And uh, they meet these girls in high school meet up with a mysterious and beautiful drifter who's played by a young Angelina Jolie. And it seems silly to go through the the plot points. These yeah. young women get themselves into trouble in school. They are sexually harassed and assaulted by a teacher who they then attack. And then they get suspended. And rather than try to fight for justice or something, they just all move out of their homes and into an abandoned house in the outskirts of town with Jolie and they give each other tattoos and they get in small time disputes with people. Um, events just happen to them at random and they come through together. There is drug addiction and uh, lesbian overtones. I mean, is it ever explicit between them? I don't think really. so. Maybe 1996 explicit. No, but not really. Not really at all. They're, they're just sort of in this... Um, pro woman solidarity gang is too strong of a word except the way they conduct themselves is kind of anti-feminist of having no success and relying on their sexuality and sensuality and i I don't know i i probably am not the person to comment on the film's take on feminism (laughs) But yeah. it seemed a little backwards to me. The script is terrible, laughable. Mm-hmm. I mean, wonderful and terrible. And uh, they learn some things about life and all go their mm-hmm. separate waves and live kind of boring suburban lives themselves. But they'll never forget legs. And every <laughs> right. now and again, they see one another and embrace Legs is is uh, Jolie's nickname. It's a yeah. terrible nickname, right? Terrible nickname. <laughs> I understand that uh, Angelina Jolie dated um, Jenny. How do you say it? Shimizu. Oh, the woman who played Goldie. Yeah, Goldie for a season. We could certainly kind of detect some of that in their chemistry. Mm-hmm. They seemed at least to be bonded in the way that they interacted in the movie. I kind of liked Goldie because her character was so different from the other women. Yeah. And she kind of had a certain charisma, even if it seemed a little out of place. <laughs> like you yeah. weren't sure why she was there in half of the scenes. And she came into it with real stakes and gravitas uh-huh. already, as opposed to the other characters right. who had well, things going on. But Right. She's a, a drug addict. 
of a highly functioning drug addict, I've got to say, who is uh, belittled and berated by her father. Her rich dad. Yeah. And it seemed like all of them had parents, but, oh, oh, man, I just... I attacked a teacher who sexually assaulted me right. and I just got suspended. I can't tell my parents what happened. Right. I'd better run away from crack. home forever. I'm going to turn, yeah. turn to drugs and lesbianism. Right. I don't yeah, think so that I wanted happens. to point out all the stuff you said in your plot synopsis, get assaulted by a teacher, assault the teacher, run away, move into an abandoned house. And then everything that's like two days of movie time. Right. It feels like it. It feels like it. Ha- it's a whirlwind of, of activity from when they meet legs to when they're all. But then they're in they're immersed in this gang life living in this crack house. But then the, the neighborhood bullies want to talk to them. They know where to come find them and just knock on the door right. and like talk to them. I didn't. Right. And follow. where did they acquire all those candles? <laughs> the place is full of candles. It yeah. doesn't burn down. Yet one lazy match in the school and sets off the whole sprinkler system right yeah and that whole sequence of having to break into the school and then get back out again is just you know for the lazy stake of being able to get what's her face's art out of the art room doesn't she know anybody in school that could maddie pick pick that up for her right um jolie is so watchable and so entrancing and you can see that she's a star because she this part makes no sense who is she why does she walk into a high school classroom make trouble and then basically flip off the teacher and climb out the window and say i don't even go here i don't even go here she's world weary and wise and badass but she's going and recruiting high school students it it doesn't make sense i i'm if this not you know this novel has been adapted a few times there's a french movie based on this novel as well i have to assume there's something going on there that was just mangled in this adaptation oh it's plain missing because like you say she wants to be a loner she doesn't want to be bothered so why is she showing up at school where she's instantly harassed and bringing people near her that ultimately she doesn't want near here, near right. her. And that teacher, could, could we have a modicum of reality? When someone wanders into your classroom, you go, oh, you knew? Take a seat. We'll fill out the paperwork later. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. That's not how you enroll in school. Yeah. Yeah, I had to watch this movie in like 20-minute installments uh, to get through it. I mean, it's not the worst thing ever, ever, and it's very watchable and, and weird. But it just—I don't know. It—it's—it's uh, it's schlock. It's oh, it's trash. Fascinating, but yeah, garbage. All right, I would like you to introduce Melancholia. Sure. Yeah. Okay, Melancholia is a movie that's been on my radar for a long time, and this was finally an excuse to watch it and catch up with it. I guess Lars von Trier. Um, his movies are challenging is the polite way to say it. And it's, I know it's always going to, I'm always going to get something out of it, but it's always feels like, uh, you know, an uphill kind of a, a thing. Um, so it's a, this is a 2011 drama science fiction. They say, I, I, I don't know about that, uh, film directed and written by Lars von Trier. 
um, who is a garbage person should be said. And that kind of enters into any analysis of his work that he is abusive and uh, to actors, especially female actors. And I think he's got a lot of bad stuff on his record at this point. Um, this is a film starring Kirsten Dunst as Justine, but uh, it also stars Charlotte Gainsbourg as Claire, her sister. And the movie's broken up into two pieces, two halves named after each of the sisters. Um, the first half being about Justine's wedding and the second being about Claire's family. Uh, and both of them are on. Un- well, this is a, this is a big question I have actually, Dan, about the movie uh, is I believe at least the second half of the movie is under the, the specter of the advent of this giant planet called melancholia, a giant metaphor planet that is hurtling towards the earth and uh, everyone's freaking out. It looks like it's going to collide with earth in a matter of days. I do not know uh, in the first half, which is about Justine's wedding and it takes place entirely in that wedding night. Uh, if those characters yet know about melancholia, that was not clear to me. Because think, there's a moment yeah. at the beginning where Justine looks up and says, what's that red star right there? And then Kiefer Sutherland, her brother-in-law, he has some kind of a explanation. He considers himself, he fancies himself a, a astro- astrology expert, and he answers her. And I didn't, is that because they don't yet know that that's melancholia? Yeah, I, that I was very... In- it was unclear. I felt like the entire wedding sequence only makes sense with there at least being a distant threat. Yes, that. and that's why I wondered because that night it's it's dark and bonkers and either she's just crazy and this is a von Trier movie, she could just be a person who is that crazy and manic and depressed or but there has there should be some kind of a of a of a specter over all of it. Yeah, I think so that in, Sorry, go ahead. I think that there's something about being clinically depressed that makes a person a prophet to Von Trier. Yeah. Where um, Kirsten Dunst as the bride seems to be far ahead of everyone else's knowledge and understanding. Mm-hmm. I was confused why the guests would stay when the right. bride and groom were that late. And Claire at that point is not fearful. She's still very in the moment of wanting the party to succeed. Um, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland, Sutherland is uh, in the same headspace, yet um, what's Justine and her mother both appear to be in the same headspace of impending doom. Yeah. And when she has no interest in her profession anymore and thinks it's so trivial that her boss would show up and try to get work from her for something that isn't going to matter, and she ends up sleeping with that guy on the golf course. Right. Instead, on her wedding. Dismissing <laughs> you know? her husband by the end Dismissing of the night. Dismissing her husband. And that doesn't seem to be an issue. Like they both kind of sadly and ruefully kind of understand that, oh, whatever. Like to me, calling off a wedding after it's happened at the wedding is a pretty big traumatic event. They right. both barely shrug it off with an area backward glance. And how could you do that unless you thought it truly didn't matter? Right. One thing that puts the, the puts it in a little bit of perspective for me is the way Justine is characterized in the second half of the movie, where it feels almost like like, well, at the beginning of Claire's section of the movie, Justine, it again, unclear. I don't think it's the next day after the wedding. It seems mm-hmm. to be sometime later. She is so depressed. She is physically immobile. But then when she kind of gets her faculties back, 
she's the one who has kind of internalized and i don't know if the word is accepted but she is kind of at a place where she literally has to some level embraced the coming of melancholia because she will go lay out at night naked kind of welcoming it Mm -hmm. and so she becomes kind of the stable one while her sister who was the, the strong one while you know trying to run the wedding and all of that she's now increasingly uh losing it and um Kiefer Sutherland is her husband who keeps promising that everything's okay. It's going to be fine. Uh, kind of science explaining everything and telling them that they're going to survive and uh, things fall apart pretty quickly. And then uh, Justine is, ends up being there for the child. I forgot the, the little guy's name, Tim. No, no Tim is no, the, Tim's the guy at the wedding. Needs... Yeah. 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 yeah the, I, uh, I don't remember the kid, is... Claire's child. Yeah, uh, down here. Claire kind of loses her ability to parent, and so Justine steps in a little bit. So the movie is, I mean, this makes it sound weird. It is weird. It starts off with a gorgeous sequence. Th- this movie kind of made me feel like uh, Lars von Trier is basically Terrence Malick if he was evil. Mm-hmm. Like, right. there's a gorgeousness to it, a symphonic, you know, beauty to it. And there's this sequence in the beginning that basically before you even meet the characters, you get this music only pastiche of moments of essentially the world being destroyed by the collision with melancholia. And, um, it, uh, yeah, I mean, it, that was gorgeous. That could have been the film for mm-hmm. me. It was, it was a really nice introduction. Um, and to me, it was very, a very necessary introduction to the first half because it shows yeah. that you're not quite in reality as we know it if we just started with them arriving at the wedding, I would just think, what is this parallel universe? But we've already felt this feeling of beautiful dread and of uh, doom <laughs> around every corner with yeah. with characters and images like the horse, et cetera, that we've seen that we're going to see later. I, th- I think that it's a very human thing too. Like when I even look at our, say our response to this pandemic, there are people who back in February said, oh, well, you know, it's going to be over a year and nobody wants to accept that because that is such a terrible thing and nobody wants to go there. Mm. And a lot of us wanted to carry on life as usual. And then we kind of accept it and then have our own falling apart at later times. And by that time, the people who were the first um, prognosticators are the ones who are more at peace I don't know. There's something yeah. very human in, I definitely, in not wanting to sure. accept the. Oh. Sorry, I just yeah. dropped my microphone on my face. <laughs> okay, not wanting to accept uh, what is clearly happening all around you. Yeah, it de- I definitely felt a deep resonance. You know, it, this might have uh, under under other circumstances. If I'd seen this in any prior year <clears throat> since it was made in 2011, I probably would have received it as a big metaphor about clinical depression which is what it is mm-hmm. yeah but na- watching it in 2020 it doesn't seem like i'm trying to understand some foreign mindset it right. feels like this applies so uh, you know ominously to what we're experiencing right now where the world is falling apart and if you whether or not you're already prone to depression this is a whole fresh opportunity to see how you are going to deal with with the specter of something like this um it's not exactly the same obviously and this is again maybe we should circle back to the idea of this as a science fiction movie we were mm-hmm. chatting about it while i was watching it that we both appreciated the fact this is not 
this doesn't follow any of the tropes of a science fiction disaster movie. Um, there's wisely no news reports, no TV reports. There's a little bit of like internet searching, but um, even that's cut short. I think the power goes out. And uh, there's just none of nothing you would expect. It's so laser focused on these characters and their lives. And that is enough of a microcosm for, you know, to, to extrapolate what, what the themes and feelings are. Yeah. It takes them out of the rest of their world, which is interesting. What, what mm -hmm. does desert Island essentially living look like in the midst of a global catastrophe? And mm -hmm. it, only has to do with how the characters feel about it because they don't appear to be affected in any material way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like this. I appreciate this movie. It's difficult. I thought it was in turns beautiful and kind of frustrating. Uh, I, I get what it was saying though. I've watched Von Trier movies where I just felt like he, this must make sense to him. He must be proud of himself, but the, I, this is like over my head. Um, I thought Kirsten Dunst was excellent. So was Charlotte Gainsbourg, for that matter. Mm -hmm. I liked the cast. Is made worth mentioning some of the other folks that are in there: yeah. Charlotte Rampling, John Hurt, Stellan Scar, a few Skarsgards, Stellan mm -hmm. and Alexander uh, Skarsgard. Uh, Skarsgard, that's their name. <laughs> Stellar Skateboard, as they call him on uh, mm -hmm. How Did This Get Made? Anyway, uh, I, I I liked it. Dan, did you like it? Oh yeah, I think I maybe loved it. I think mm. that I'll return to it and probably find more meaning having seen the whole thing before mm -hmm. and kind of more understanding what's going on. But in a similar way that I connected with Ad Astra last year, there was mm -hmm. something just beautiful about standing at the abyss and just staring out full into it before destruction. I don't know why I'm drawn to that. But mm. to, to me, there's a there's a peace in seeing that you're a part of this universe but you're you're just such a yeah. small part of it and that's kind of a relief to me it's mm -hmm. no spoiler that the world ends and i've seen some people say oh well if this were actually going to happen the earth would have been destroyed far before a collision you know right. would have been thrown off its course if it passed it that closely and like i kind of like that the science doesn't matter because this is some kind right. of fable or metaphor um, either for depression, I think it could be uh, an allegory for climate change or a pandemic mm -hmm. or just anything that threatens the whole of humanity and makes and, uh, yeah. our day-to-day -day stuff seem really insignificant, except that you're surrounded by the people who are closest to you and able to take a deep breath and stare it right in the face. Yeah. Yeah. And as a as a metaphor for depression, it doesn't fall into that trap of just being always oh, you know it's all about how you react or it's all about you you decide how you feel because in this metaphor the the looming specter the the dread is real it's mm -hmm. a it's it's real stuff so uh it, it it i don't know to me that just changes the equation when it's it's not as trite as it could have been right it isn't a state of mind when someone's depressed i think that it's happened to them the same way as you know a planet's going to crash into earth it's not just, oh, if they just smile a little more or then it wouldn't. No, that this thing is happening. I have a streaming recommendation for us. Potentially stupid, but uh, The Lovebirds is on Netflix and I probably oh, would yeah, have. Oh, yeah, we can watch that. 
seen that if it w- when it came out in theaters, but uh, now it's mm-hmm. on Netflix. So I hear mixed reviews, but we'll see. Yeah, I haven't seen anyone particularly enthusiastic. No, but it does seem like Perfect. part of the part of the scuttlebutt. Yeah. All right, Dan. Why don't we take a little break uh, after that? delightful segment and we're going to come back and talk about a movie that is your selection but feels like it should have been my selection so uh we'll do that in a moment stay tuned no one Welcome back to Holds Up, Dan and Josh. Uh, Dan, this week's movie, to my surprise, was your selection. So why don't you talk to us about the Royal Tenenbaums? Yeah, so I was inspired by our conversation about Rushmore last week, and I know that I'd seen Rushmore. When would that have been? 99, 2000 or so. And then I remember being excited to see the Royal Tenenbaums in 2001, totally caught it on its first uh, run in the theater. I don't think it's out of their runs, but you know what I mean. Um, It is a 2001 American comedy drama directed by Wes Anderson, co-written by Owen Wilson. And what a cast on and on. Gene Hackman, Angelica Houston, Danny Glover, Bill Murray, Gwyneth Paltrow, Ben Stiller, Luke Wilson, and Owen Wilson. And I'll just say this up at the top. I couldn't believe as I was rewatching this how much Arrested Development sure owes to this movie. Mm. Because Interesting, yeah. It is a similar style of like quick flashbacks and a kind of no good father who tries to manipulate his son who's trying to protect his kids themes of uh, you know like the adopted sister and being into your cousin or maybe Lindsay's adopted you know and just kind of these this zany family that lives on a different plane all the way down to to the charlie brown music exactly exactly and as i was reading a little bit about the movie it turns out uh what's his name mitch hurwitz had had the idea for Arrested Development and then went to see this movie and thought, crap, I can't do this now, but then hmm. decided to go forward with it. And of course, Gosh, they're quite the, diff- uh, reassuring celebrity narrator. Right. Right. Crazy. I had none of this occurred to me. Yeah. I, I was like, there, this, there's so much here. I mean, Ben Stiller, <laughs> you know, right. uh, running around. And was that Christine Taylor behind him as his assistant? Is that his wife? I don't know about that. It's possible. I wasn't. I wasn't sure. It looked like that to me, but they were never yeah. like zooming in on her. Well, anyway, and uh, Owen Wilson's Eli Cash. He's like a uh, Job figure. He's like right. a flashy, showy media guy. Right. The Bluths would total like Buster totally would have had a Falcon. You know, I, I don't know. It just seemed sure. kind of yeah. uncanny. And uh, so that was like my my number one thought on on this rewatch was about that. Um, I enjoyed this movie. I like it better than Rushmore. I do like Wes Anderson's style. 
And at the same time, I had a similar problem with the character of Royal. I didn't dislike him as much as I disliked Max Mm -hmm. last week. But I feel like there's an ongoing variation on a theme of an entitled white guy who has a non-redemption and expects all the people that he's hurt for years and years to just go along with him because he's really nice now. And I didn't find that dramatically compelling. I prefer the Bluths Mm. when the joke is that they are all terrible and unredeemable. And the emotional center is Michael, who's trying to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. I could have, I'll let you talk in a second because now I'm way off of any sort of plot. But um, I thought, what if Ben Stiller were the center here? And he came to accept that his father was, you know, kind of a jerk and was trying, but still hadn't earned it. But in the end, kind of find some peace or something. I could see that working, but like mm-hmm. centering it around Royal, I I didn't care about him. I, yeah. I was angry. I was angry with him. And I mm-hmm. didn't like that he felt that his family ought to surround him later in life. Yeah. But I would say, and this is going to lead into my, I guess I don't need to defend it because you're not ripping the movie apart. You enjoyed it. I very much enjoyed it. I think it super holds up. And I, um, this is what I should have picked. <laughs> because if I <laughs> if I wanted to show somebody early Wes Anderson that kind of establishes him and makes the case for why he matters, I would show them this. Mm-hmm. Um, because just in two movies, just from Rushmore to this one, there's so much more maturity and confidence and depth um, so regarding Royal, I would say the difference with him is he's a bastard and yeah, he has this non-redemption and he just wants things. But I feel like the movie with Max Fisher, we were supposed to think it was cute and root for him anyway. And I don't feel like this movie has any love for, for Royal Tenenbaum. I feel like he's a bastard and that's just kind of everything else is rippling out from him being a bastard and the family, um, doing their best to exist as a family you know that kind of emanates from a bastard do you i feel that the movie though was trying to give him a redemption that i didn't feel was earned Mm -hmm. i felt like what what really did he do he went out after living in luxury in a hotel for 22 years to get out to get a menial job to pay his own way well good for you he agrees finally to get a divorce but not before making terrible racist remarks to Danny Glover. Right. You know, and he pushes his grandkids out of the way of an addict's moving car. Well, that's the very least you can do for your grandkids. And he encourages the romance, (laughs) the socio incestuous romance of his two other children. Right. And he's like, I'm really nice. I'm great now. Look at me. I'm royal. And don't forget, he buys a dog. on right. the spot for people on who just lost it without talking to the dad's yeah. owner what is up with ben stiller's character he's first off is this who jason sudeikis is trying to be and what's up with that that sketch where he like mm, has that yeah. same hair and outfit and is dancing in the background who cares but right. is the family jewish because they seem to present stiller as kind of a stereotype with these right curls and the names of his kids and he's into finance and you know like yeah yeah here's a thing that i like about this movie it takes place in this weird fantasy version of new york city yeah um 
And I love that. I love the way that all plays and feels. It's not real, but it exists. And I feel like my, my I, I don't even remember where and how, but my brushes in, in youth with kind of old money kids from New York City, intellectual families from New York City, lived in you know brownstones or weird houses like that. That just feels like a thing. And that there would be all this lore around those weird families and those weird houses. And this movie really taps into that for me. I did feel that up top when it kind of presents itself as family of geniuses, I felt like, again, that felt like it might have gone the way of a character movie or a sketch movie. Like I was, you know, like I felt with Rushmore, like it could have gone too far in that direction. But I think for me, what makes this movie land and what makes this movie stick with me is a great it's not afraid to have a very dark emotional uh undercurrent that is surprisingly deep given how kind of surfacey mm-hmm. and over stylized everything is so the relationship between margot and richie which as you point out is very strange and, and taboo and and off-putting i still felt emotionally invested and and Chaz, even though it's played for comedy sometimes, his anxiety because his wife died and he's worried about his children. To me, that kind of stuff made these people more real. And it gives this movie a surprising emotional resonance when it is so, again, so surfacey and so Wes Anderson-y. I kind of really like that, that there's something that has that much style. Usually a movie that has that much style and comedy is superficial and you don't get much else out of it. And then a movie that has emotional resonance and depth is all that. And I kind of enjoy the Wes Anderson universe that you get all these things together and it doesn't always work. But when it does, uh, it's kind of palpable. This is a little side note. You know who else's wife died? Who's that? Michael Bluth. Oh, right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exact same thing. Um, Crazy. Crazy. So why was Gwyneth Paltrow so sullen? Why is she so uh, I don't know other than adoptee never appreciated in love with her brother adopted brother. Why did she marry Bill Murray? I don't know. Yeah. Her latest adventure is how they kind of portrayed it. Yeah. I I mean I felt for her at yeah. the same time I she just seemed to have such contempt for him for no reason that I thought, well, do you have to be here? Right. And then, uh, so Luke Wilson, that's the part of the movie I do remember. Like when I think of this movie from my mind's eye, remembering really nothing of it, was blood and hair (laughs) (laughs) is what I remember. And he kind of encouraged me that maybe I could do a buzz again, which was kind of what what I took away from his character. So (laughs) what's that supposed to be? That he was a kind of a tennis phenom. And he became so upset when his adopted sister married Bill Murray that he threw away his career a few years early. Um, apparently, I guess they're just Power. independently wealthy. Yeah. Yeah, because he's like just kind of traveling yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah. But he still wears the costume of his younger self. They all do. They all dress right. like they did when they were a kid. They're all, I mean, Arrested Development um, in this family. It seems like their mom was a good caregiver. She's not introduced as a comic character or manic or shaming or something. It seems like she would have been a good nurturing presence after their dad left. Um, Yeah. She's easy to overlook. She is good. Yeah. Yeah. She's very natural. 
I think it's a sweet uh, relationship between she and Danny Glover. I like yeah. the two of them. Um, so Owen Wilson, he's an addict and they have kind of an intervention for him. And I thought he was going to get help at that time. Are we to understand that he did get help and then relapse? And that's what happened the day of the wedding. I don't remember because I remember him uh, skipping out when they confronted him. He jumps out the window and then they don't see him till the wedding, right? So oh, I think he's probably been spiraling. Oh, I must have missed that moment. Because there's a scene where Pagoda, away. where they, they talk to him and it seems like right. it's a real good conversation. But then Pagoda right. looks out the window and said, there he goes. And he was just running to a cab. Oh, I missed that completely. I was, yeah. <laughs> I was watching intently. Okay, I so think, that answers that question. Yeah. And was he supposed to be in the wedding? I don't. Dressed, I feel like they had lost touch with him, and that was just him literally crashing into their family again, out of the blue. To me, that felt like the biggest contrivance of the movie. Like he wasn't heading. Why to the is he wedding? driving full speed toward the Tenenbaum's house? Like, oh, drugs. That's what you do when you're on drugs. Like that to me felt a little bit over the top. Uh huh. Um, but and his character, I don't know. He maybe that's my least favorite part of the thing because I don't know that I get him other than he's a weird druggy i wonder i mean i do like this stuff with his book i wondered if his character was really necessary to the narrative i think it might have been a little tidier if Margot had run from her feelings for richie to marry this man she wasn't really interested in and that's what depressed her yeah yeah because all those pieces would still work you'd still have richie throwing his career away and that you know that thread right. would all still work and owen wilson yeah he 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 co-wrote rushmore without putting him without inserting himself into the movie but this time i guess they yeah, i think maybe he shouldn't have been there i think that might have made more sense interesting i had mistakenly remembered that noah baumbach co-wrote this movie but he did not he co-wrote uh life aquatic and maybe oh. one other anderson movie but i'd forgotten that this was another owen wilson co-write I didn't like that the dog died. No, you don't kill the dog unless you absolutely need to for story reasons. And this did not feel like they needed to kill Buckley. Right. They almost seem like that would be like a funny thing to happen. Right. And I didn't think it and was. Why not have, why not have Royal come walking out, you know, from behind the rubble or the house holding Bucky Buckley. And that's, that could right. be his big moment rather than buying what them if, a new. What if Royal had died in the. Right crash saving the kids yeah. and the dog then mm-hmm. maybe that there could be a little forgiveness right or thinking through being so rough on him for someone who likes his shots to be so uh, uh symmetrical and enjoys ordering things i do think wes anderson likes his stories to be messy uh, yeah. i think he's intentional with not giving you satisfying resolutions and story beats some of it's downright trite but then i think he doesn't want to do too much of that and some of it like, almost seems tried on this side of history because so many other things have tried it after. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just really was, this movie washed over me like another one of these things where I've watched, sometimes a movie that I've watched a million times, I rewatch it and it's like foreign to me now. And I'm like, wow, I'm in a different place. This came rushing over me and I was back in. I really felt like it was a warm blanket, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the musical selections. Um I think this is this is top tier Anderson. Not perfect, but like maybe the best he can do. 
Yeah, it makes me interested in checking out more of his work because I really haven't seen a ton of it. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, because I totally felt immersed in it. I, you know, I was just watching it. I, I didn't, I wasn't ultra critical. I'm, I more had questions than I had critiques. Yeah, yeah. And the Arrested Development thing just really yeah, threw me. I read that the Did... uh, Falcon, uh, the reason why it's different is because they had to replace it in the middle of the shooting because oh. somebody in New Jersey happened to capture it. Oh boy. Um, and then wanted money for it. And they didn't want to pay off this jerk who yeah. kidnapped their falcon, so they just bought a different one. That they didn't need to had white feathers. Say things though, they didn't need right. to write those lines to explain it. I would not have noticed. Right. I mean, somebody would have. True. The fact that this movie is so kind of contrived and surfacey and silly, but also looks head on at things like incest and suicide. To me, that's a those are tightrope kind of things, and this it could just make the whole thing a disaster. And I thought that uh, I don't know, I admired the movie for going there, and I feel like that's part of the fabric of the movie. It's not sometimes you see people over overreaching with their movie, trying to have big themes or or you know devastating whatever. But I I don't know, I feel like it's all bound up in these old money, weird, rich intellectual people in New York City have these kind of problems. I think it was maybe a little bit too hung up, maybe to a fault, on the idea that these three kids had been, you know, geniuses or savants as children and that they can't live up to that in adulthood. Is that really their issue? Any of their issues? I don't think so. They've, no, I don't think so. They've yeah. each experienced other traumas with uh, uh, losing their father, essentially, who was also cruel to them. And, you know, one losing a wife and two being in love with one another and they can't do anything about it. Like th those right. are their issues. Um, mm -hmm. Not that they were geniuses and they let people down. So right. I, I almost wish that some of that would have been yeah. like, just there for color, like the right. whole tennis thing, the whole playwright thing. That That's that's cute. But really, is that the problem? I don't think that's their problem. No, I feel like that that's the world building, that sequence at the beginning where you get all the typical, you know, the, the Wes Anderson montage where there's big block letters on the screen, collection right. of cars or whatever, you know, the walking you through their childhood, totally world build, world building, world, world building and character colorization. And then I don't think about most of that. It doesn't really have anything right. to do with their adult versions at all. Right. There, this was interesting as I was, as I was reading and even while I was watching there's this ongoing like kind of white male incel point of view <laughs> throughout that I think would defend Royal even in faking an illness to manipulate people. That's not funny to the average person, but it might be right. to someone who uses other people for their own purposes. I think the same about the romance between um, Margot and Richie, because if, if your first thing is to jump in and say, well, not by blood though. Right. You're saying, well, then she's only a sex object to you. Mm -hmm. Let's. It's not even like a complex relationship, like a blended family where she's your stepsister that you met when you were in high school with those kind of complexities. No, as far as either of you can remember, you've been raised as siblings. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and yet this is how you feel for one another. And that that's a that, that's something maybe for a movie to explore. But the fact that she's adopted is not to me the central thing that makes it okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I but I felt I I felt the genuine misery and the and longing there mm-hmm, that yeah. I felt worked as far as the characters go. Not but there is no satisfying resolution to that story. Um also with Chaz, I think he might be the best rendered as an adult, even though I agree that his resolution redemption stuff with Royal in the end feels tacked on and maybe does, it doesn't feel mm-hmm. natural. Right. I think ben, it's one of Ben Stiller's best parts as far as you, you know, the sadness of losing the wife and then having the kids and the sweet moment where he goes and sleeps in the room with the boys and one mm-hmm. the one boy gets, comes down and sleep, lays next to him. I just loved that so much. And for some reason, as silly as Ben Stiller is, and he's silly in this part, even I just I bought him as a person, as a fully fleshed out person, and he made sense to a certain degree. He was the uh, one who I forgot was in it, and really, to me, he should have been the emotional center of the whole thing. Yeah, for sure, Michael Bluth style. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gwyneth is good. I yeah, think that when yeah. we started doing th- these discussions in this podcast, I had fully gone into the mode of thinking her of her as, you know, this kind of lame lifestyle guru and who occasionally shows up to phone in a, a performance in a Marvel movie. And I forgot that she was great in the 90s and the 2000s. Oh, she was like, I liked Shakespeare in Love, um, whatever people thought of that win that year. But then I thought she was good in Ripley, and she's good in this. And I think of uh, Proof as well. Like she, she had a string of solid performances in the '90s and early 2000s. I never saw Proof. Is that a? Uh, that might be one to revisit. Contender? I don't know if it's if it's interesting, but it's mm-hmm. a. I think it's a decent Paltrow performance. Mm-hmm. Well, Dan, thanks for your pick. I appreciate it. You corrected my. Uh, my failure from last from last week. My miscalibrated was, pick wasn't what I was trying to do. <laughs> no, but I, I I really enjoyed revisiting this movie, and it does make me want to rewatch more Anderson yeah. too. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. All right, uh, I'm going to have to let you know what my pick is for next time. Uh, I'll do that soon. I haven't yet given it thought until this moment, so uh, I'll do that. And I guess that wraps us up. So thank you so much for listening, no one, and uh, prove us wrong. Let us know. Uh, anyway, this has been our podcast. We're Dan and Josh. You can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd, and follow the show on Twitter for some reason at Holds Up Pod. Music is by Jonah Rapino. Show is by us, and for us, and to us, and for us. And yeah. Thanks so much for listening, and um, if that's the case, we'll see you next time. Bye. By the way, there's a moment on the uh, on the Criterion Blu-ray of the Royal Tenenbaums where Chaz is um, running the little drill, waking them up in the middle of the night with the air horn and telling them to get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he yeah. flips over the kid's chair in his bedroom and points and says, obstacle! But on the subtitles on the Blu-ray, they wrote, out with you instead of obstacle. And I thought mm. that was really weird. <laughs>